Lord Jesus, we, we sang this morning about your sacrifice for us. That when you shed your blood, it covered our sin and our shame and it gave us a righteousness that we could not earn. And because of that, your spirit could come and live inside of us. Your spirit as the first fruits, the down payment of our salvation. So we ask this morning that that you would show us that your words are true, that the spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. That your spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and that the spirit would reveal you. This is your space and we are here as your people and we ask that you would meet with us. The things that need to be to be sorted or shifted in our thinking, the hurts or the challenges going on in our life at the moment, would you please meet us in the middle of all of these things? But Lord Jesus, we, we want to focus our thinking on you right now. Would you please help us to do that? In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Um, you're going to need a Bible. Open it up. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. And I have, I've heard that last week was just uh, wonderful, really wonderful. Thank you, Michael, uh, for sharing last week. And uh, I saw some photos on social media this last couple of days of a camp that was going on. And I don't know whether people were supposed to share photos or not, but there was some fascinating very festive items of clothing being worn. And when I looked at the weather report, it didn't seem to match up. (laughs) That it looked very tropical in the photos, but the weather report said it was the opposite of tropical. Um, But I trust that those of you who are away on the seniors camp had a really blessed time. Um, And uh, again, just echoing Max's words from this morning, looking forward to hearing from Heather and from some of the others next Sunday night at Cafe Church. Let's recap, because we were in Corinthians a fortnight ago, starting off with with Paul's words, talking about the city of Corinth, where it is geographically, and some of the things that were going on. And if you remember, it was a a trade city, and we zoomed out from Kerrang, and we flew around the world and zoomed in on Corinth, this city that had two ports and was incredibly wealthy for a very long period of time, and then it got destroyed, and then it sprang back up again. And by the time of Christ, it's... It's again this powerful, influential city, and they have every reason to believe that they are going to be uh, on the top of the social ladder. We talked about some of the reputation that Corinth had um, in the Roman Empire, that a Corinthian woman was not something you called someone to, to compliment them, um, that the, the, um, the temple worship which went on, they had many, many, many prostitutes, and that was part of the culture. Um, there was a whole lot of wealth. There was a whole lot of status. Um, here is a, a picture of one of the statues which uh, came out of the city of Corinth. Very, very decadent, luxurious culture. And we talked about uh, Corinthian columns. And the reason that we, we call a really ornate column Corinthian in design is because they were the people that had the money. So we're going to start with verse 1 again. We're going to read through and pick up where we left off. We're going to read from uh, this morning from verse 9, uh, from verse 4 down to verse 9. 
And we're going to finish off Paul's introduction because Paul flags a couple of things here in his introduction that are worth us taking note of because it's going to set up the context that he speaks out of for the rest of his letter. So let's start. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, who we, we learn about later on. Uh, or we, sorry, we read about in the book of Acts. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, remember that means set apart, those sanctified by Christ Jesus and called to be his holy or set apart people. Same word in the original language. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember, we spoke about how what Paul is about to read to them, uh, sorry, what Paul is about to write to them is going to get pretty harsh in some spots, but Paul's aim is not to crush them. Let's pick up at verse 4. I've got some text up here on the screen if you want to read along with that. We'll talk about my colored words in a moment. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kind uh, and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's have a look at a couple of these things in here. All right, verse 4. Let's have a look at a, a few key words here. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. It's In the English language, we can have a look at this and go, I always thank my God for you. It's like saying, I always thank God for chocolate. It's not quite what he means. What he's saying here is, I always thank God on your behalf. I thank him for you. And if we think about it, when was the last time maybe someone came up to you? Imagine a scenario. You're sitting in a cafe and um, and someone turns to you and they said, oh, I just went and I thanked the staff on your behalf for them bringing you that cup of coffee. It kind of says something if someone says, oh, I went and said thank you on your behalf. It's a little bit backhanded way of going, you should be thankful. There is something for you to be thankful for, and I'm going to thank them on your behalf. Paul is saying here, I always thank my God on your behalf because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And the word there for grace is literally um, the word charis. Uh, if we try and translate or transliterate it into the English language, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It literally means grace or gift. When we read in Paul's writings about gifts or graces, it's the same word. So as we read in Corinthians about spiritual gifts, they it's, it's the same word here as grace. So I always thank my God on your behalf because of his charis, his gift, his Uh, his grace given you in Christ Jesus. God has given you stuff, and I am thankful that God has given you stuff. 
Paul writes, verse 5, For in him, in Christ Jesus, you have been enriched in every way. You have been enriched. It literally means you have been made wealthy in every way. And then Paul puts in this clarifying statement. With all kinds of speech, logos, and with all knowledge, gnosis. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Why does Paul mention this as part of his introduction? Well, let's remember for a moment where Corinth is. You're in the ancient Greco-Roman world. They are a melting pot of culture. And one of the first challenges that hits the New Testament church is a challenge called um, Gnosticism with a silent G. Look it up. It's fascinating. And Gnosticism argues that, you know, yeah, you can follow Jesus, but we have these secret rituals that we have been taught, or there are special hidden things, magic words. And we have these things as well, and unless you have these things, you're really not in the know. And Gnosticism was about hidden knowledge. So Paul writes to this church and he says, in Christ you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge writing to a group of Christians and saying, you actually don't lack any information. The whole challenge of Gnosticism is why in the early church, the idea of apostolic succession becomes really important. To go that the person who was pastoring their church or the person who was functioning as their bishop or their church leader took over from an apostle or they were trained by an apostle or taught by an apostle. Apostolic succession. Because the argument then went, actually, If there was any hidden knowledge, Jesus would have given it to his disciples. His disciples would have given it to their disciples, and one of them is running our church, so we're fine. That's where the real strong emphasis on apostolic succession came from, was against Gnosticism. So Paul here says, you've been enriched with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. What we see later on in Corinthians is these two topics, speech and knowledge, come up when Paul is talking about gifts when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And specifically, Paul is going to address the Corinthian church about speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues and about words of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophetic utterance. And Paul is writing to this church saying, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. And in verse 6, These are the things that confirm that God is who we told you he is. God uses these things to validate his own witness. That's why they happen. And even today in the world, miraculous things happen because God is validating that he is who he says he is. When Jesus turns up, Jesus walks on water. Jesus tells the the storm and the waves to be silent, and they do. Jesus raises someone from the dead. Jesus restores someone who has leprosy. Jesus heals the cripple. He gives sight to the blind. He validates that he is who he says he is. But here Paul is saying that speech and knowledge, all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge, foreshadowing these other conversations he's going to have, God confirms the testimony of Paul about Christ using those things. In what possible way could kinds of speech and knowledge validate that God and Jesus are who they say they are through Paul's testimony? Well, turn with me, if you will, back to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11 for a moment. 
Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 reads this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel or Babylon, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And I'll tell you what, there is some argument about that passage of Scripture, and there are some weird and wonderful and wacky and I don't know what medication the person needs theories in the world about the Tower of Babel. But we see then that it makes sense that if God is going to validate that he is this God, then he will take authority over human speech and language. And now Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit of God comes on people with tongues of fire and they speak and others hear the glory and the majesty of God in their own language makes sense. God has no difficulty overcoming a language barrier in order to proclaim his greatness. And this is something which Paul is going to take up with the Corinthian church. Is the way that the gift is being used, does it actually glorify God? This becomes the primary theme throughout the rest of Corinthians, is to go in the life of the church, If something is being used in a way that does not bring glory to Christ, then it is being used out of order. The grace, the charis, the gift is given to reveal Jesus Christ and to point to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Paul goes on. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. The word there is the same, uh, charism or charismata. This is where we get the word charismatic from. The word charismatic literally means uh, graced or gifted. Sometimes we talk about charismatic as someone who's really dynamic and maybe leaps around up the front. But when Paul talks about these charisms or these gifts from God, he talks about, on occasion, the gift of administration. Praise God for the gift of administration. He talks about the gift of hospitality. He talks about the gift of mercy. These these are all things that God gives to the church as literally pieces of his grace that rest in you and rest in me. If God has gifted you, it is literally a piece of his grace that has come to rest in you. And it is not for your benefit. It is for the benefit of the body. It is there to witness that Jesus is who he claims to be. That is what a spiritual gift is. And Paul here writes to the church, you do not lack any spiritual gift. It's not like God gave them a toolkit with a 10 mil socket missing. 
They have the Spirit of God within them. And the Spirit of God has has all of the gifts. He's like the key that opens the key locker. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He can put anything inside of you for as long or for as, as short as he wants, in any measure, big or little, in order to reveal Christ. And when this plays out, we do not lack any spiritual gift in the church. And then Paul puts it in context here. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. The word there is literally apocalypsis. Paul is saying that between this day and that day, the last day, the great and terrible and glorious day of our Lord Jesus Christ, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. You have everything you need in order to survive. You have everything you need in order to function as a healthy church. Verse 8, Paul says this, He, meaning the Father, will also keep you firm to the end. I've just highlighted here some of the positional language here. That's what he will do, so that you will be blameless, which, again, means that you will be without accusation. There will not be any accusation that can be brought against you. You'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he is going to do, regardless of the gifts and how they function. You have all of them. You're not lacking in anything, but he will keep you firm to the end. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why is it important that we get our head around Paul's introduction here? Because Paul is going to serve this church a whooping because they are out of order. They are not loving each other. They are not functioning with each other in mind, whether it comes to communion, whether it comes to strife, whether it comes to arguments, when it comes to sexual sin. This church is severely, severely out of order, but they have every gift. They're not lacking anything. There's a powerful lesson in this for us. All because there is a spiritual gift, even a miraculous spiritual gift that is that is working out through someone in the life of the church, it does not mean that that person's life is in order. And this goes for pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, uh, bishops, popes. It doesn't matter who it is. All because there is a spiritual gift at work, all because it is functioning well, all because there is no lack of the grace of God, it does not mean the person's life is in order. And we need to keep that in mind. There are situations from time to time, and I have some that sit in my head, you will probably have different ones that sit in your head, where there are these extraordinary people ministering um, in churches around the world or, or in mission organizations, and they fall from grace. That's the polite way of saying they mess up severely because they have a gift at work in their life which actually causes them to rise to a position of influence and a position of leadership in an organization or in a church. But in their heart of hearts, there's a whole lot of disorderly things. And this is something we need to reflect on for ourselves. Is all because there is a charism or a gift or a piece of God's grace at work in us, we need to not fool ourselves and we need to not try and fool other people. It's really tempting sometimes in leadership to, to try and pretend that you've got it all together. 
because that goes with the territory sometimes. We, we need to not do that. We need to be as real as Paul is calling the Corinthian church to be. To go, you know what, all because there are gifts at work, you know what, there is a whole lot of, of cleaning inside the heart which needs to be done. So all because someone works the miraculous or if someone um, works in, in the prophetic or speaking in tongues or words of wisdom or any of these other things which Paul is going to talk about, it does not mean, it does not mean that that person should not be checked in on. It doesn't mean they don't need help. It doesn't mean they don't need support. It doesn't mean they've got it all together. That's kind of point number one. Point number two is that they still actually have everything they need. Sometimes we can go, you know what, if, if we had more money in the bank, we would function better as a church. If we had a different set of buildings, we'd be able to do different things as a church or as a church family. You know what, if we had different uh, leadership, we'd be able to function better as a church. If we had different programs or activities, we'd be able to function better. Well, actually, Paul writes to this church, and man, I'll tell you what, they are a mess. And he says, you have everything you need to do well between this day and the apocalypsis. You have all the pieces already. And we need to be careful that we're not trusting in ourselves that we are going to keep ourselves stable or that we are going to keep ourselves you know, plugged in and flourishing, but to go, actually, you know what? He is our stability. These gifts are from him, and he is the one that is going to keep us firm to the end. See, our hope is not in the gift, in terms of a spiritual gift. Our hope is not in a, in a charism. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to keep these things in perspective, that Jesus has saved you. Jesus will keep you firm to the end. He is our anchor. We are not the hero as extraordinary as some of our giftings may be. We're not the hero of this story. He is. We're not the focus. We're not the main event. He is. Do we trust in ourselves? Do we trust in our own giftings? Or do we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ holding us along with the Father? Spiritual gifts are tools for the life of the church, and we need to learn how to use them. We need to be able to sift through what's going wrong in Corinth um, as well as a lot of other writings that we have from Paul. We need to be able to sift through and go, what gifts are we able to discern in ourselves and in each other? Because we should see the full display functioning in the life of the church. We need to learn how they operate. We need to learn how to be safe. We need to learn from Scripture the shape and the form and the function that they have. They will always bring glory to Jesus Christ. If they don't, then that's a default. We're out of order. But they are tools. We need to keep them in perspective. So this morning, what do we do with this? What do we do with Paul's uh, introduction here? Well, if we take his words to heart and if we can see that this is a group of people who have some real mess going on in the life of the church, and at the same time, they have all the pieces that they need to actually function well as a group, then I think there's hope for us too. I don't want to understate my case, but I think there's hope for us too to go, all right, Lord, how, how are these things going for us? How are the gifts, the charisms of the Lord at work 
in this place? Are we using those things well at the same time not trusting in, in, in the gift but trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and still being authentic and open about going, you know what, yeah, maybe I'm really gifted at this, maybe this ministry is functioning really well, but here's the stuff behind the scenes that still needs to be processed. It still needs to be dealt with. How is that going here for us? This is why some of the meetings are happening this week, Monday night, Wednesday night, is to go, you know what, we, we need to talk about how we are functioning together as a group of people. On what terms are we, are we meeting together and where are the boundaries and, and all those sorts of things. That's some of the spring cleaning stuff. As, as much as wonderful mission and ministry is happening here. Paul is reminding them here that they are called to the Lord Jesus Christ by the Father and that he has made them part of something. And if nothing else, I would love you to hear this this morning, that God has made you part of something. And God has put gifts in your life, not just for you, but for the body. And that's where we are going as a group. We are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. We are holding on to the call of the Father, and we are seeking to use the tools that he has given us to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're looking at Corinthians. It's not about us. It's not about our gifts. It's about him. But we're going to bring them to serve him. And just for something different, I wrote a prayer down this morning. You don't have to read this with me, but I'm going to read it out. Lord God, you are with us in the mess of life. You give us graces to serve one another, which prove your goodness. Please help us learn how to use them and how to love one another as we do. You are so good to us. You are faithful. You alone will keep us stable to the very end and blameless to the last day. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.